0: My name is Kim Yeagle and I'll be reading our passage this morning, Psalm 73. Go ahead and follow along um, in your own Bibles, or you can read the passage on the screen. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them, and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you have given us this word to remind us, to convict us, uh, to remind us of your character and who you are. Uh, we, Father, we thank you that your word um, pierces our hearts and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And, Father, we pray as Joel. Uh, shares this message with us, um, and as he shares your word, that you would be with him, that you would give him words of wisdom, and, Father, that we would walk away um, changed, that we would walk away um, hearing what we need to hear and and following your word. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Kim. As a church community, when we think about ourselves and gauge our individual or maybe our corporate spiritual maturity, one of the questions that Paul would have us ask as part of this fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God being poured out on his people and producing maturity, is the question, are you a patient person? When you're traveling on a highway, the beltway maybe, uh, and uh, you find yourself in a lane that you may typically go 55 or 65 or 75 miles an hour or faster, and uh, all of a sudden you come to a complete stop in the middle of a four-lane highway, Uh What is the feeling that runs through you? How about when you look two lanes over and then you see the number of cars going by that they're actually getting to move at a much faster pace? How do you feel then? Or you may see it play out in simple ways in the grocery store or in any store where you go shopping. You pull your cart up. uh, There are multiple lines open. You see there's only three people in line over here and then four people and then six people. And so you go to the short line, of course. You go where there's only three people. But then all of a sudden, uh, a blinking light at the register or a call for a manager, and you find yourself waiting as all these other people move through other lines. Uh, What goes on inside of you in those moments? Uh, What tensions develop? And I would guess that patience is not, especially in our area, one of the virtues, one of the signs, one of the fruits of spiritual maturity that we're quick to lay claim to. It's something that likely all of us struggle with. And here in Psalm 73, we're seeing the author of this song, this uh, reflection during the worship of God for people to think through just those types of challenges and to go even deeper with them. What does it look like for us when seemingly bad people are doing well? And maybe even more than doing well, they're thriving. How do we feel when we have checked all of the boxes, when we have done all of the right things? And yet we find ourselves in a career or school dead stop uh, where we should be going fast and, and life has taught us that we should be going fast here. We're just at a complete standstill. And yet we look over a few lanes and our neighbors or coworkers or others that we're in school with, they seem to be flying by even though they're not doing the right stuff. What goes on inside of you then? And that is the question that this psalmist is driving after. It is an honest reflection about how we work through those tensions as a people of faith. And we're going to look at Psalm 73 this morning in three points. We're going to break down that 28-verse psalm into three discrete parts. So first, looking out. Then, working out and then zooming out. So looking out, working out, zooming out. In the opening verse of Psalm 73, there is just this general table setting that God is good. In verse 1, the psalmist says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And it is this standard Old Testament reflection that the God who created the world is good. That the God who elected Israel, who gave promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who brought them out of slavery, the God who has maintained faith with them uh, over time, that he is good. But then when the psalmist looks out in verses 2 through 12, you see a real struggling with what's going on out there. The psalmist looks out, and in this, he says, I almost slipped. I looked out, and in verse 2, I almost stumbled or slipped because I was envious of the arrogant. I saw that the wicked were prospering, that people who don't do the right things seem to still be getting ahead. And in verses 4 through 12, uh, the psalmist unpacks more of what that looks like. In verse 4, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Uh, The language there is that they're not really suffering. They don't have to go searching for food. They don't have to struggle with how they're going to make ends meet or how they're going to get enough just to survive nutritionally today. The evil folks around seem to be doing really well. And as the psalmist looks out, for us, if we were to pick it up and to bring it into our modern day, for us, it may be things along the lines of uh, he eats or drinks whatever he wants, and he never seems to gain weight. Or she always has the newest fashion. It's almost like, uh, and yet no concern for money, almost like she has a money tree in her backyard. Or he or she, I know they're getting older. I know that I've known them for years, and yet they look like uh, physically the day I first met them. They don't seem to age at all. There is this unpacking of the psalmist that as the psalmist looks out that uh, other people seem to be doing much better, and not only that, uh, even people who are doing wrong. People who aren't living with integrity, people who aren't following the rules, people who aren't uh, honoring God with their decision-making, why do they seem like they're thriving? And this is the question that the psalmist continues to unpack. In verse 6, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. There is a sense that not only do they do wrong, not only do they thrive, but they know it and they don't seem to be bothered by it. This creates tension for the psalmist as he looks out. And then the psalmist reflects inwardly. The psalmist tries to work this out in verses 13 through 16. All in vain I kept my heart clean. And washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Here's what the psalmist is saying When I take inventory of my life, I've done all the right things, and yet I'm not getting ahead like those other people. I have put myself out there, and I can't figure out why, after following all the rules, after being a faithful person of God, why don't I have more? Why haven't I got ahead? And that is the tension that the psalmist has identified. So when the psalmist looks out in verse 2 through 12, he sees that evil people, wrongdoers, people who aren't following the rules, people who don't seem to care to honor God, they seem to be doing well. And when the psalmist takes inventory of his own life, he isn't, even though he has been faithful in trying to hold faith as part of the people of God. And he just gets tired of working out that tension. And uh, this is instructive for us because uh, the reality for us as Christians, no matter what time period we live, or no matter where our current geographical or cultural context is, These are not new challenges, and they're not resolved challenges. We may look around and say, I'm a faithful churchgoer. I give generously. I try to love my neighbors as myself. I try to carry myself in school or in the workplace with integrity. And yet it seems like the people who won't tell the truth, the people who cut corners, the people who won't deal honestly, they still seem to get promoted or get ahead or make a better grade or get further down the career road than I do. That just doesn't seem right. And that tension is one that we continue to feel as a community in the 21st century. Not that it's new to us. It clearly isn't from the psalmist's point of view. And not that it's exclusive to us in the metro D.C. area, but it is the human reality of trying to walk faithfully in a way that honors God, but then also getting a sense of what's going on around us. And so I want to make a couple of just really quick pastoral notes here. The solution isn't that we can't look at anyone else around us. We have to just put on blinders to every uh, cultural reality. That's not what the psalmist is going after here. Uh, There's nothing wrong with having a sense of where people are in life. Uh, The solution also isn't just figuring it out inwardly, like I just have to try harder. Or uh, maybe sometimes you'll see this in an unhealthy way where people say, just don't ask those kinds of questions. Don't ask that. That's not your business. Uh, Here, the psalmist, I think, is modeling what it looks like to pray and to work through these tensions in an honest way. And as a community at Mosaic Silver Spring, our hope is that whether you are new to Christianity, you're hearing about this stuff for the first time, or whether you have been a Christian as far back as you can remember, so pretty much your whole life, that when these questions come up, and they inevitably will, that you won't uh, just push them to the side or not deal with them, but that you will work through them as part of a community. That's what the psalmist is doing. And where the psalmist begins to find relief from uh, the uh, looking out and from the working out, where the psalmist finally turns a corner, so to speak, uh, is in verses 17 and 18 and all that follows. There is a transition from looking out uh, to working it out personally to zooming out. And you can mark this in the text if you would reread it later by the use of personal pronouns. Because in uh, the first verses, verses 2 through 12, there's a lot of they. Uh, what are they doing out there? There's a lot of uh, second person, plural, right? So so what do they have? What are they doing? How do they seem to be living? What are they saying? And then in verses 13 through 16, there's a lot of I, a lot of first person, right? Um, I. Uh, and so he, in uh, the turn in 17 and 18 and what follows... There uh, turns to the use of the you personal pronouns, and it includes a zooming out of how God functions in the midst of the tension of the third person, they, and the first person, I, is the second person, you, Lord God, how do you deal with us? This is your world. And that is where some of the tension resolves. And I think we will see some of the formation of the virtue of patience. So as he zooms out in 17 and 18, there's this pivotal flip. And and watch the pronoun change. So uh, uh, I'll start in 16. When I thought how to understand this, it would seem to me to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. The way in which the psalmist begins to navigate uh, this tension of looking out and seeing how people are getting ahead with uh, how the psalmist is trying to live faithfully but not quite making it is this sense of looking at what the Lord God himself has done. This I, they switch to include you, this zooming out of God's redemptive work becomes the key for us to understand just how patience grows. Uh, So whether you are on the beltway or in a grocery line or whether you're wrestling through these tension points of how evildoers continue to get ahead while those who are faithful and function with honesty and integrity seemingly don't. When we zoom out, the psalmist is saying, don't worry, none of this is missed on the Lord, that the Lord God is faithful to us that those who seemingly are zooming ahead in those other lanes in life, it is not lost on God who they are and what they've done. Similarly, if we feel like we're just at a stop still in our own individual lanes, even though we've done the right things, that's not lost on God. Patience and how we live with patience, how mature people exercise patience is not by ignoring the people around them. And it's not by uh, stopping up those questions, just don't ask any questions, just do it. It's by zooming out to see in the midst of these tensions that God has a hold of us. And so this switch from they to I to you becomes key for us so that when God demonstrates his love for you and for I in Jesus, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it becomes this testimony to God's bringing together both judgment for the evildoer and full redemption for us. I have a friend who will oftentimes, before he goes into a movie, check out what the ending of uh, the movie is so that he can uh, more enjoy the show. That's what he would say. When I – this is very strange to me. I don't want to have the plot revealed. I want to just kind of follow along in the moment. Uh, my uh, my friends would say, no, no, no. Uh, you can better appreciate how the movie unfolds and what's going on if you already know how it ends. And it struck me in reading Psalm 73 and seeing that zooming out of trusting that it is God who graciously holds on to us and how he has demonstrated that in the person and work of Jesus and how he's poured out his spirit that uh, in a sense in our lives, we know what the redemptive end is because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what that means is we don't have to go moment to moment wondering how it's all going to turn out. God has graciously shown it to us. He has told us in Scripture. He has poured out His Spirit to testify to the truthfulness of it so that we know how this story ends. That gives us the freedom in our day in and day out. When it seems like others are getting ahead and we're not, we have the freedom to zoom out and say, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and that He has been faithful, and that that is my end. We can shift our gaze from what's happening with others to what's happening with us to the resurrected Jesus. This grows our patience. Every time we can shift and make that shift and say, wait a second, okay, I see what's going on there. and Man, that just causes me to really struggle. But when we can shift our gaze and say, but... I know that this isn't lost on God. And I know that God has already made good on his promise in Jesus. And so that I know how this is going to turn out, it helps me take take a deep breath in the moment to have that Christian perspective, and this grows patience in our lives. It shapes our perspective in the day-to-day. It gives us confidence so that when we sing or pray or hear God's word, we are brought back around to this perspective of the finished work of Jesus. And that helps us, in turn, grow more patient. Because we trust that we are in God's hands. This is how the psalmist wraps things up after looking out and after working it out. When he zooms out to remind himself that this isn't lost on God. This is his close in verse 26 and 28. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. That, friends, is the Christian hope. That's what it looks like to live with patience. Notice that uh, he's not living free from the need of refuge, but that it's in those tensions and through those questions that he returns to worship something that we do week in and week out as Christians, something that I would encourage you each day to do through individual prayer and scripture reading, uh, whether individually or as a household. These are the ways that we zoom out and then develop that type of patience as we go through life. Because of the work of Jesus, we can always adjust our perspective and zoom out to the Christian hope that when it seems like others are getting ahead, and we're not. None of this is lost on God. He sees perfectly. He redeems us perfectly. And in his perfect time. Let that be our testimony week in and week out as we worship together as a church. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. And give us the perspective that comes with knowing the grace we have in you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.